like the ball dropping. Definitely Wapner. I think that's at 4.30, though. Um, all right, so welcome to Wednesday nights. I'm very excited to be here for week two. Um, last week was outstanding. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the time with Janine as much as I personally did. I was commenting that um, since I sat up front, I didn't really get to see all who was here. So I'm very curious to see all who's actually here um, as we dive into Luke's gospel. Um, we are going to spend some time in here. It won't be like last week. For those of you who have been clamoring for an hour and a half straight, <laughs> not going to happen because um, there's equal number or more that have no interest in that. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time uh, in chapters 1 and 2, and then we will cast lots for our groups, and then we'll spend the rest of the time in discussion groups. Um, so as I said, choose where you sit wisely and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. So let's open with a word of prayer. And then uh, as many have asked, yes, I am going to read the passage. So um, all right, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for today, uh, tonight, and this time. I thank you for these folks that are here and that have carved out time and space in their day to be here and in their busy week to come and dedicate time to you and to each other and to this thing called faith and community and life together. And so we just pray that you would be with our time, that as we read through and hear Luke's uh, words, that you would be guiding and directing us and helping us to understand what um, you are trying to communicate to your people through this text. And also as we engage in conversation with one another, I pray that you would help us to be open, not only with our mouths and our thoughts, but also with other people's perspectives and help us to be gracious with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. As I suspected, power of prayer always multiplies the crowd, so that's a good thing. Jesus multiplies loaves and fish, and I just make more people show up, I guess. So, uh, tonight we're going to go through Luke uh, chapters 1 and 2. And so, if you're interested in picking up the questions, they're always at the back as you come in. Um, you can grab those, and I will do a brief survey to see if we need more for next week. Um, also, a point on that, at the bottom of the questions, there is a spiritual discipline that we do each week. It's usually something different each week. Um, so do that, engage with it uh, to the level that you desire. So here we go. Uh, you can either listen um, or you can listen and follow along. I don't think you can follow along and not listen unless you have earplugs. So. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most ex excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of, king of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, 
And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and status, statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God with his division, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Uh, we're in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not, did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, 
Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon my humble estate, looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before all our days. And you, child, be called, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. Now is where Luke actually starts, for most of us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This sounds familiar. You're like, what was the rest of this stuff? This was from the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, the angel, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Must have been crowded if they were all three lying in that manger. Just making sure everyone's still with me. And when they saw it, they made known this saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Then she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming at, up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up 
according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. So we have this interesting beginning to Luke's gospel narrative. And I think it's quite interesting because the ESV chooses to use this word narrative inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. And we were talking last week with Janine about this concept of narrative. It's basically a story or an account of events. So when I, when I say that word narrative, it means the story or account of events that is taking place throughout Luke's um, gospel and then in Acts. Curious to know what were some words or phrases that stuck out as you were listening to the first two chapters or as you have either read or listened to the first two chapters on your own? There's no wrong answer. Yes. The Holy Spirit was upon them. Okay. Do not be afraid. Okay. His name will be Jesus. There's really no wrong answer. The baby leapt. Okay. What I will say is crowd participation is very much encouraged. And if there are questions that happen in your brain before there's like a break, just raise your hand or make an audible noise that I can hear. I'm not looking, and then we'll address them as we go. So yeah, these are all some great things that, that popped up as you're listening, as you're reading. Um, as we talked about last week, the importance of seeing some themes come up. And as we go through, you'll be thinking, oh, I think that sounds familiar. When have I heard this or seen this um, previously? Because Luke starts us off right away with some very interesting phrases um, that he will continue to repeat. So he gives us this idea right away that he's setting out to uh, compile the information about the life of Jesus. Now, as we know, he chooses to include certain things and he chooses to exclude certain things. He also chooses to put things in particular order for a particular reason. For example, we see this back and forth between how John is growing and developing and how Jesus is growing and developing. Before Jesus is even born in the narrative, we have John going out into the wilderness. And this phrase uh, in verse 80 of the first chapter, uh, he was in the wilderness until the day of his first public appearance to Israel. 
So as we go, there, there's going to be times where you're like, okay, what is actually happening? <laughs> where are we at in the story? Where are we at in the narrative? And what is happening? Luke groups things together for a very specific reason because he's trying to communicate uh, to his listeners or to his readers a particular thing. And as Janine pointed out last week, the couplet of pairing together a male and a female is very much a theme that is right out of the gate and continues and will continue. For example, Zechariah is this male who is visited by the angel Gabriel, and Mary is a female who is visited by the angel Gabriel. And so we see this male and female pairing as a tool. So if a female comes up in the story, the chances are you should ask yourself, or we should ask ourselves, who is the male that is on the flip side of this um, couplet of individuals? Because there's going to be times when we are going through where Luke is going to give us specific names, specific details, and there's going to be other times where he's going to be very generic in places, uh, what's happening, time span, and individuals. Because sometimes those individuals are going to represent larger groups. For example, we get this, uh, this name Theophilus, and I believe somebody asked a question last week, uh, is this a person or is this, like, who is this Theophilus? Because uh, it can be translated as you know, someone who follows after God or somebody who is interested in the things of God uh, to that degree. So it could be a general category of people, or it could be a specific person. It's interesting um, because it doesn't really matter, but it's interesting to talk about. So we see right away out of the gate, we see some very interesting characters in Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what do we notice about them right away? Luke tells us some very interesting things about them so that we sit up and we say, oh, okay, interesting people. What are some things that Luke tells us right out of the gate about these two individuals? Okay, they were old. I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. It's not ageism. Advanced in years, I think, is the politically correct biblical way of saying that you're old. Yeah, so they had no children. He also points out that they're walking with God so that they are following after the law. So they're law-abiding Jews. And, and so there becomes this interesting thing of, if you're following after God, why do you not have any children? Is it because you've done something that you don't have children? And so there becomes this interesting dynamic of what is wrong with these two. What else do we know about them? Who, who are they from? Well, uh, who is Elizabeth? She is a daughter of Aaron, right? And that uh, Zechariah is of this particular division. So immediately we have this status symbol of these folks. They, they work, or Zechariah works for God in the temple. And, and so then we contrast that with Mary and Joseph. So if the Savior is going to, if the Messiah is going to come through a particular people, certainly we might think it would come through somebody like Zechariah and Elizabeth, not somebody like Mary and Joseph, and so we start to see how Luke is going to play things out. So he goes in, and he has this experience, 
First of all, he casts lots, and so he, you know, randomly selected by the Holy Spirit to go in so that he can have this encounter. And the Holy Spirit tells him, your, your prayer has been answered, and you're going to have a child. And his response is, you got to be kidding me, yes. We were joking about this on Monday, like a geriatric pregnancy is like 38 nowadays. This is like a legitimate geriatric pregnancy. You've got to be kidding me, is what he says. And Gabriel's like, okay, then I'm not, enough of your words. I would rather you not talk. But it's interesting because he's been praying about this. They've been asking God to grant them this gift. And now they get to this place in life where Zechariah is like, not a chance. Not that they haven't been trying or praying or doing any of things, but he says, this is physically impossible for us to have a child. And uh, Janine didn't point this out in here, but there's an interesting connection between the silencing of Zechariah and his not having a voice. And when we look all the way to the end in the cross and God's silence when Jesus is on the cross and seeing this interesting perspective of how silence functions within uh, Luke's narrative around significant events. Likewise, as we look forward into the, uh, his story in Acts, in Acts we have the opposite happening, right? Which we'll get to. Rather than silence, we have like an abundance of tongues. I mean, what was that conversation like when he goes home? Well, it wasn't a conversation because he couldn't talk. That was a joke, right? That was set up. And his wife was like, amen. Why didn't this happen sooner? But, you know, how do you convince your wife, like, no, one more time, I think this will actually work? Apparently he does, and she conceives. And in the process, we jump ahead and we get, um, get to Mary and how Mary is approached. Mary is approached by the angel Gabriel. And what is her response? How can this be? Or to paraphrase Tom's version, You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, I didn't have, you know, seventh grade PE, but I'm pretty sure I know how babies are made. It shouldn't be happening. And it's interesting how Mary seems to be shocked, but not completely doubtful of what's going to happen. And Zach Zachariah seems to be doubtful and how God approaches both of them or how the angel chooses to approach both of them. But within that, we also see this discussion around the revelation that Elizabeth is also pregnant. I mean, oh, by the way, your super, uh, I'm sorry, your relative who is advanced in years is also pregnant, and she's been pregnant for six months. What is Mary's response to that? What? She goes to visit, and she doesn't just go to visit. She goes with haste. And then if we skip ahead, and the, the angels appear to the shepherds, and what do they do? Go with haste. And so we see some themes uh, happening there in the response. So she makes this journey, and there's some interesting conversation around why is Mary going to be with her relative? Well, 
if you had a relative who was advanced in age and you were young, you would probably think, this, this gal's going to need some help. And so also, God instructs her. And so we see the obedience of Mary right away that she should go and be with her. And so she goes and she is with her. And the first recognition of her pregnancy is by whom? John, yes, the baby leaps in her womb. And so again, we start to see how is it that people are responding to Jesus. So we have this big experience of in utero John jumping in his mother's womb and that Elizabeth has this, in essence, this revelation, oh my goodness, you also are pregnant and your pregnancy is this miraculous thing and who you're pregnant with is this massive deal. Because we often miss out on the fact that the nation of Israel has been waiting, waiting for centuries for a Messiah to come and to deliver them. And as Janine uh, was talking about last week about the Greco-Roman culture and the, the Roman occupation and the Roman world, it was at that point where I was like, e, are we losing people? You were all very engaged. But the Jews are waiting and waiting. They've been hoping and praying because at the end of the First Testament or the Old Testament, things aren't going well. And we don't spend a lot of time reading intertestamental uh, books. We don't spend a lot of time reading our own Bible. Why would we read their scriptures? Okay, interesting. But the Jews are waiting for this experience of this Messiah, and the prophecy has been foretold and all these things. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like for them to receive the news that, that the Messiah is now in his mother, he's going to be born, and, and just the excitement and the joy and how important that was for them to experience. And Luke tells us about how important it is Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the waiting aspect of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they patiently, well, they waited for a very long time and, and we pray and we're like, okay, I've been praying for like two weeks. Like, what the heck, right? I've been praying for at least two months. And, and then we fast forward and we look at Simeon and Anna. Can you just, we're just jumping right way ahead. Can you imagine going to church, living at church for 84 possible years? praying and fasting at church, 84 years waiting for this moment? Nope. We'll get there in a second. So thank you for bringing that up, Val, because it's interesting, again, the, the usage and the importance of Abraham throughout Luke's narrative in Luke and also in Acts and how the, the name of Abraham continues to get brought up. Because at the beginning of Genesis... We see Abraham and we see Sarah and they can't have a baby and they don't wait. Well, sort of, except they take things into their own hands. 
And now here we have this, almost this beginning again of this testament around two people, advanced in age, waiting to have a baby, God divinely intervening and giving them this child. Yeah, how patient are you is a great question. And then we see three, um, two longer kind of song-ish prophetic utterances and then a smaller one. And notice, again, we have this reversal of Mary goes first and then Zechariah comes after that. But Mary talks through this very important reference to all of these things and she's remembering who God is and what God is doing and who God is for. And notice he, right out of the gate, Luke is communicating that God and Jesus are for those who are disenfranchised, on the margins, without, and who are in need of somebody like Jesus to come and to rescue them and to provide for them. Humble estate, verse 48. His mercy is for those who fear him. Again, we have this interesting thing of this contrast of fear being a negative thing and fear being a positive thing and how God is with those who have this holy reverence and this holy fear. And Mary stays with her for three months and then she returns home and John is born and Zachariah's mouth is opened and then he gets to break into song or prophecy depending on how you look at it. But what... What do we know, going back to these themes that have been brought up? How is Zechariah able to make this declaration? Somebody mentioned it earlier. The reference to third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. Yes, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we often talk about how Acts is when the Holy Spirit comes on the people, but notice how many references have already been in place about the Holy Spirit. And he goes in and he talks about this is what we've been waiting for that has been promised to our fathers in verse 72 and to remember his holy covenant, talking about his father Abraham and how he is going to do all of these amazing things and how these people have been waiting for these things. And then he gives this very interesting reference to the fact that John grew and became strong in spirit and was, pl- was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. And it makes me scratch my head because why wasn't he with his parents? And then we get into, as I mentioned, what we typically think of as the beginning of Luke and how Jesus, uh, the whole story of Jesus comes out and the birth of Jesus. So we get the, the reference to the angel. Again, now we don't get a specific name of an angel, but we get this heavenly host going to the, the shepherds. And what do they say? Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this becomes a very important theme throughout Luke's gospel. Likewise, again, as I mentioned, the reference to Abraham, Abraham, the promise to Abraham is to all nations, to all people. 
And as Paul references in his letter to the Galatian church, he references the importance of the covenant to Abraham. So we get these clear indications right away in the Gospel of Luke about the importance that this word is going to all people. Jesus is going to be for all people, and it is not going to be an exclusiveness of Jesus for the Jews. Is he coming as the Jewish Messiah? Yes. Is he coming to do things for all people? Yes. And we're going to see that same theme throughout the gospel as Luke introduces us to various individuals and various characters. But again, notice what happens. There is this introduction to Jesus, and people have particular responses. So John has this response in his mother's womb. He leaps. The angel shows up to the shepherds. They have a response. What do they do? They go with haste because they want to see what is happening in the fields. And so they go and they fall down. They worship uh, Jesus. All who heard it wondered uh, at what the shepherds had told them. Interesting kind of throwaway reference. Because what are the shepherds doing? They're witnessing, yes. Luke tells us in this really nondescript way that the shepherds are going out and telling people already about this baby boy Jesus being born. Likewise, again, we're going to get there, Anna is in the temple and she's telling about Jesus. And Mary's response is what? She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And it brings to mind this idea of Mary and the importance of remembrance and remembering things and calling to mind things. And how is it that we remember the things that God has done in our lives? And I know I've talked about this many, many times. Uh, you know, when we talk about this idea of putting together our faith stories, it's, it's not to fill five and a half or six minutes of a slot on a Sunday morning. The faith story is about a process of calling to mind to remembering what God has done in our lives. Because sometimes we just forget. <laughs> we forget, oh, that's right. And I was talking to somebody just yesterday morning about, you know, how, how he has little kids. They're like four, six, and eight because, you know, normal people space their kids out by that time frame. I didn't know what that's like, but anyways. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm already seeing memories of when my kids were like two years ago. And, and it's just reminding me about how I've forgotten things. And I'm like, yes, imagine about the things in our lives that God has done that we have forgotten. And so when we sit down and we put together this, this thing, this document that we call a faith story, it is a calling to mind of the things that God has done in our lives. If you've been through uh, experiencing God, right, you talk about these spiritual markers, that we go back and we recall and we say, yes, God did this thing here and God did this thing there. And it's important for us to remember and to store those things up so that we can recall them. And Mary is very much doing that as this process is taking place. So they go to the temple and they have this very important experience. And as Janine pointed out last week, we see this interesting book ending of 
Luke, where it begins in the temple, okay? It begins with Zechariah in the temple, and then it begins with Jesus in the temple, and then it ends in the temple. Here is this big temple experience. So again, imagine if you were Simeon, and you're waiting for this Messiah to come about. And in verse 24, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was, again, righteous and devout, this interesting reference to people that are committed to the law of the Lord, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, this this reference to the Holy Spirit. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he takes him up in his arms and he blesses God and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Again, this reference to all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I mean, people look at me sideways in the grocery store when I smile at their kid, let alone if I were to swoop them up randomly and say, you know, all these things. You're like, why are you touching my child? Well, first of all, the kid would scream, as we all know, with child dedications. I would look at a kid sideways. They typically scream. But Simeon comes in out of nowhere, and he has this experience. But how is Simeon able to have this experience? Yes, the Holy Spirit plays an important role, but Simeon is committed to the ways of God, and he is a devout and faithful follower of Yahweh, and he is just anticipating God's work and God's movement. Likewise, we see Anna as this companion person, the female to the male in, um, in Luke's gospel. And she has been uh, married to her husband for roughly seven years from when she was a virgin, meaning young girl, virgin being used different, slightly differently here uh, than the reference to Mary. And she's either been in the temple for 84 years, or she's been, she's now 84 years old. Either way, she's been there for a very long time. And what is she doing? She's fasting and praying and worshiping God. And she's anticipating God's work and the arrival of her Messiah. Again, we can't miss these two key characters. And it just calls to mind when, when we are anticipating the movement of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in a place or in our lives, to what degree are we committed? To what realm of longevity are we committed? Because Luke, right out of the gate, makes it very clear that God is in the business of keeping his promises, and sometimes those promises are going to take a longer than expected amount of time. And how interesting is it that we have a challenge with patience in our own lives?
yes, that, that Simeon gets it and he's making this recognition. Yes, and we're going to see these, the, how many people have Jesus encounters that get it? How many of those people aren't supposed to get it? And, and what is the response when the dawning of, oh, wow, this, yes, this is it. And then almost for the disciples in many instances, in an instant, it's like, do they not get it? And so we have, yes, we have these interesting characters that come in almost out of nowhere, and it's like their faith is so committed to, to understanding who God is or who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, what he's doing, and then poof, it's like they're gone, and then these other characters that are around forever, and you're like, how do they not get it? Yeah, exactly. And so again, um, she comes up and she has this experience. The interesting thing that, I, that struck me this morning is the, this reference to Simeon saying, God has fulfilled his promise that I would see Jesus before I died. And then Jesus making a reference later on about some of you here will, see, will not experience death before the kingdom of God is coming at hand. So we see this interesting echo uh, into the future or in, towards the end of Luke's gospel. So they go, and, and then we have this experience where Jesus is in the temple, and his parents are gone, and we always are like, were they bad parents, or what was going on? Was Jesus a naughty kid? And then we say, well, how could Jesus be a naughty kid? He was perfect because he was Jesus. The challenge, though, with that is Mark, or Mark, Luke tells us twice, he says, the child grew, verse 40, and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him, and the, then again, he says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So as we look at this Jesus, I want us to be very much aware of holding in tension the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Because Luke tells us twice in a very short period of time that Jesus in his early days is growing. Siri is... She's so obtrusive, intrusive. Uh, that Jesus is learning and growing, which implies that Jesus, when he's born, is not fully omniscient. It's not like Jesus is playing uh, with his buddies and, and he's, you know, seven years old and his friend's like, how many fingers do I have behind my back? And Jesus, like, knows it instantly. He has to learn some things. And that's why, I mean, and that's why he says he's in the temple because he wants to be there. He wants to be learning. He wants to be knowing what it is that is being told and read in Scripture. And so Jesus is growing in his understanding and wisdom, and he's growing in favor with God, which is one of the most obscure phrases. God's got one kid. So when the question is, who's your favorite? You're my favorite. Because I don't have any others. <laughs> but we see the intimacy growing between Jesus and God the Father in these early years. And Luke wants us to be aware of that because it's a key, it's a key point and it's a key component of what's happening. It's also interesting that Early on, somebody brought this up this morning. Uh, Mary and Joseph are surprised. And we, 
can have this response of, you just received a baby in a, the most immaculate conception ever uh, imagined or ever to take place. And within the first 12 years of his life, raising this child and other children has made you realize, I'm not sure if he's actually the Christ. She's like, what are you doing in the temple? And he's like, well, am I not supposed to be about my father's business? And so Luke starts, starts us off by going, you know, John the Baptist, Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus. And then next week he's going to give us more John the Baptist. And then he's going to give us more Jesus as this interesting interplay between the two individuals uh, in his gospel. Any questions before we cast lots? So I took a, a quick straw poll. Um, if you are not going to participate in a discussion group, um, no judgment from me. It's not a requirement that you be here. Some of the discussion leaders were like, really? I don't have to be here? No, they have to be here. That's a requirement. But please... If you're a male and you're not going to participate in a discussion group, no judgment. You have other things to do, whatever. Um, just don't stand up. So when we number off, you don't get put in a group. Then that group has a deficient number. So um, if I can have my male uh, individuals that are going to be discussion leaders come up, please. And then all the males stand up so we can count, uh, count you off. And then I need, um, I need a proxy. Bill, would you come up and be a proxy for uh, one, one of our people that's not here? All right, so Bill's going to be number one. Two, three, four, five, okay? It's very complex. And we're going to start uh, at the back. Mr. Jacobson, you're going to be number one. And then we're going to go to John and, and then that way. Bill, you're four. Oh, yeah, okay, you're four. 